Hey, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Wow, you're all dressed up. Uh, not really. I'm just, it, this is just an Under Armour shirt. It was just, I, I wanted to put on something that breathed because it's kind of hot in the apartment. Uh, it's freezing normally I, just, I am. Normally, I just don't wear, um, wear a shirt, but, you know, we were going to be on video, so I figured that'd be weird. It would be weird. That was also the perfect cold open. Welcome, everybody, to the – what are we, the Lake Show? This is the yeah, Lake Show. Yeah, the Lake Show. show. Yeah. Lake Show. At some point, I'll, I'll remember that. But today's hey, show is – like, what, three episodes in? Four <laughs> episodes in? So we'll get there. Today's show is going to be fun, though. Today, actually, we just recorded our, our conversation with Andrew Bernstein, Andy Bernstein, uh, who was basically maybe the the NBA's greatest photographer of all time. I think I can – Yeah, I don't think – I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's yeah. literally – he's the first Hall of Famer we've had on the Lake Show. So yeah. I think – like yes, by default we are declaring him the best NBA photographer of all time. Yeah, we just did it. He's Lake Congrats, Lake Show Andy. official. We're gonna send out a press release. <laughs> uh, but he he was incredible. He gave us a lot of his time. He was very generous with stories and with time. So so that's gonna be the middle block of this conversation. For right now, though, Harrison and I are gonna talk about last night's game, which was not great, Bob. Yeah, I called it I, – I, we were waiting for Luke to come and talk, and I forget who I was talking to, but I called it a moral loss. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was like, you know, you have moral victories. That was a moral defeat. Hey, can I can I uh, throw a, a hot take out there that, that I was – Sure, asked. as long as it's not, as long as it's not hotter than the one that I gave you off the air. All right. Uh, well, I want LeBron to stop taking 30-footers in the, fu- in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I was cussed. <laughs> yeah, man, that wouldn't have been fun to edit. Um, so – I think I, I was talking to you know I've talked to people I've talked to mem- people who covered the Cavs during his career there and I you know I watched like Cavs games because they were on national TV a fair amount while he was there and same with Heat games and LeBron it's the one it's the one bad shot he takes really where but he, he does goes it a out lot. yeah he does it late in games it's the one like it's his one heat check shot the rest of his game is so focused around trying to be as efficient as possible and trying to help his team win on the margins in every single area that he can, especially offensively. And it's like the one shot where he takes it and he's like, well, it's the fourth quarter. Skip Bayless is going to criticize me tomorrow (laughs) if I don't shoot this. And so I got to fire it off. He needs to take that shot in the first quarter. Yeah, like it's, it's not a good shot. Like people... some of it, some of this is some of this is LeBron's tendencies, and I think some of it is how the Lakers don't really have an offense. And so late, especially late in games, when teams start getting back in transition, they finally listen to their coaches and they're like, "Okay, we have to run and get back, and we can't just let them score on the break every single time." And the Lakers have to create something in the half court, and they don't have a whole lot of half court actions and a whole lot of half court structure, at least half-court structure that works and so sometimes it's LeBron trying to bail out the offense and so I think it's like it's not a chicken or egg thing because we know he's prone to this but it it you know there is some blame on both sides where are you recording right now like where where... I'm recording in my apartment in Fullerton in Fullerton right so take like three steps backwards and that's where LeBron's gonna fire up his next fourth quarter shot oh my god (laughs) 
LeBron, let me remind you, LeBron had a game winner last night, okay? Granted, it was after he missed two free throws, and then Kuzma put up a shot, and then he tip-dunked on his own teammate. Tyson Chandler was saying after the game, he's like, I didn't even see where he came from, and then all of a sudden, he was just dunking on me, basically. And, like, and so, you know, LeBron, he came through in the clutch. It was after failing in the clutch, but he came through. He did it. I so, look, And then they still needed a block from Tyson Chandler that was kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly a goaltend. <laughs> And to beat the Hawks, who are terrible. The Hawks are so bad. I don't understand. I do understand how they were in that game. It was because the Lakers turned the ball over approximately 57 times. Uh But, yeah. Seems low. Yeah. So... Where do you where do you think the Lakers are right now? Like, how how do you feel about this Lakers team? You know, I mean, they won three straight games, and they've done it with with Tyson Chandler making a huge difference, which I think is like it, it shows how close this team was and how little they really needed to kind of get over the hump and be okay. Like those first couple weeks when everybody was panicking, yeah, there were flaws with the team. There are still flaws with the team, mm-hmm. but they needed you know, one or two X, they they just needed like a backup center basically. And that's what we kept saying. And now that they have a backup center, they're winning some games and granted their schedule is lightened as well. So I believe, I think they play Portland on Wednesday. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm going to look that up right now, but like the schedule is still easy for the next couple games. We actually, by the time you listen to this, we'll have a piece on silver screen roll from Alex Regla on that exact topic. And so the Lakers, I think it's regular. Regular. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not, the good, the good news learned, is you're not his boss. So as we've learned throughout our podcasting careers, I'm not good at talking. <laughs> so I'm a lot better at knowing how things are spelled, but not necessarily how they're said. The Lakers are playing the Trailblazers this Wednesday to yeah. kind of conclude this point. Uh-huh. But so I, I think you know they have to. That, that's obviously not an easy game, even though it's at home. But they have to take advantage while the schedule is a little lighter. They, they have road games against the Magic and Heat over the weekend. That's that's a back to back, but you still kind of need to win both of those if you're trying to make up ground in the playoff chase. And so, yeah, they need to fatten up on this stretch right now. And after last night's game, I mean, granted it was on a back to back, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm not feeling as confident in this team as I ever have after witnessing that. How excited are you for the uh, Carmelo Anthony era? I don't, don't, please just stop. Like, are you ready for that? Like, no, I don't think it, I mean, that's not going to happen. Should we Um, talk about it? I mean, we could suppose, I suppose we could talk about it on the other side. Can I, can I just say this? I want to, this shouldn't be a hot take or whatever, but it might be. Lakers, please do not do this. Like, don't. What are we doing? Why, why, why would, That's the request. Yeah, like it's not. It's not. Yeah, I'm. I'm requesting. I am. I am asking. Magic, Palinka, whatever. I. I do not do this. This is I not. Somebody. I saw somebody Photoshop him into a Shanghai Sharks jersey last <laughs> oh night, which is like that is the meanest <laughs> jersey swap I've ever seen. <laughs> Like you see all the guys get photoshopped into Lakers jerseys and things like that whenever like whenever literally anyone is a free agent. I'm convinced you can go and find like a photoshop of them in yeah. a Lakers jersey, but putting somebody in the CBA is just mean. Like yeah. stop it, that's internet. Just, that's not stop nice. cyberbullying Carmelo Anthony. But yeah, but so just so we're absolutely clear, Carmelo Anthony makes zero sense for the for the Lakers. Cuz people yeah. people are going to people are are going to want our takes on this. The reason Carmelo Anthony doesn't fit on the Lakers team is because he doesn't fit in the NBA. 
Like he's not a good player anymore. He's he's he, literally well, a I, bad basketball player. He could be a good player if he understood what his limitations are, but he doesn't. It's very clear. Yeah, he's, and, he's not good. He, yeah, he's actively harmful to. He left Oklahoma City, and they were happy to be rid of him. He's leaving Houston, and they're happy to be rid of him. He and just, more illustrative to me is like you know obviously there's LeBron and there's uh, Dwayne Wade and I think Damian Lillard were like and Evan Turner of all people were like standing up for him on Twitter last sure. night and saying like look Lamelo's not a cancer he can help the team whatever like of course they're going to say that to me it was illustrative until he shows that up James, that James <laughs> Harden and Chris Paul did not give like a full throated defense of him or no. anything yeah that's a, that's that's absolutely on on the on the mark they do not. Their silence is deafening. Yeah, like the Chris Paul or Chris James Paul Harden kind of addressed it, but not really. Yeah. And no, don't go. He's like, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like Carmelo's been on our team, and like that was like the extent of his statement, basically. Yeah. So. Carmelo Anthony exists, uh, but no. For those of you who are who are asking us, have you gotten any requests? Have you have have people asked you no. like if Carmelo? I, I think we're past that point. I don't. I don't think there's really, really anybody that wants Carmelo <laughs> Anthony. Team. I want I want your mentions. Do those people exist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. I, I that you really haven't I mean, gotten just, it. It only really matters if uh, if LeBron is one of them. So we'll mm. see. We'll <laughs> yeah. see how that goes. LeBron, <laughs> could you imagine being like the only time LeBron James <laughs> acknowledges He's your existence? Like, sign Mellow Lakers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be amazing. All right, so what we're going to do now, we're going to throw it to the conversation that we just had with uh, Andy Bernstein. He has a show. He has a podcast, Legends of Sport. He has a book uh, that he helped write, helped Kobe write, The Mama Mentality. This is and how put the photos for, more importantly. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's just he was very good. We had a really good conversation with him. So listen to that. And then on the other side of this, Harrison and I will. Oh, how's this for a tease? He told a story about Kobe he's never told before, but you got to stay till the end. Ooh, so. bang. All right. And we are now joined by actual NBA royalty, uh, Andrew Bernstein, Andy Bernstein, Basically, if you have a favorite moment that has been captured in an image, chances are Andy snapped that picture. So, so Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Well, that was a great intro. Thank you for having me, Harrison. Appreciate it. Really happy to reconnect with you, man. Yeah, no, it's. It, I was really happy when uh, when someone with uh, with your team reached out and said that there was an opportunity to have you on our podcast. I was really excited because you and I spoke in an interview last year, and uh, one one of the first things I wanted to ask you about. We talked about this a little bit already, but I, I know you. So you're obviously you're here promoting the book that you did with Kobe, the Mamba Mentality. This is how I play. I believe that's. A, I got the title right, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so I know that you had a pretty special first meeting with Kobe at his first media day. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and what stood about what stood out to him? Uh, what stood out to you about him right off the bat? Sure. I would love to. Um, it was 1996 and he was a fresh faced rookie of 18, just turned 18, believe it or not. And uh, we have media day, um, which is a kickoff of training camp every year where all the media in LA set up, uh, you know, radio interviews, TV interviews, photo shoots. So the players literally can get everything done in one shot, you know, it's like two and a half, three hours set up in the gym. And, 
he came over to my set, you know, uh, my big back white black backdrop and had everything ready. And like any other new player who I hadn't met before, I go out, go up to him. I introduce myself. I, Hey Kobe, uh, I'm Andy Bernstein. I'm your Lakers team photographer. And he's shaking my hand and doesn't let go. And he said, well, I know who you are. And I said, really? I, we haven't met. And he goes, no, no, I know who you are because I had all your posters in my room growing up. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, who has the presence of mind to look at a minuscule, like microscopic, basically photo credit on a poster? You know, I mean, this is this just said so much about this guy from the get go. And I saw something in him that at his age then that I had when I was that same age, you know, I'm 20 years older than him, but I remember when I was first starting out in my field and, uh, you know, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and I was, um, you know, very driven and I wouldn't take no for an answer and any discouragement only fueled me more. And, uh, you know, tried to, tried to kind of get my craft and my talent, sort of channeled to be successful in, in my, in my business, which is being a professional photographer. And I saw that in him too. Um, spent a lot of time around that team that first year, 96, 97. And, uh, we bonded very quickly. And, um, ever since then, it's just, just been a great relationship. And, you know, as you know, I've been the Lakers team photographer all this time, as well as the, uh, the senior photographer of the NBA. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afforded access that, a lot of people aren't, and that's not access I take for granted. That's access that I've actually worked very hard to um, cultivate and and encourage through trust and uh, always being professional. So, you know, Kobe and I just really bonded and, and uh, had a great, great history together over 20 years. And, and this book came to fruition because of that relationship and the fact that it's, it's incredibly rare. I mean, I don't think any of us could think of one athlete who's played 20 years in one city. There's only a handful of those around. Maybe Dirk Nowitzki is the only last remaining guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for one franchise and then photographed by literally one photographer his whole time. So it's been a great run. And uh, the book is a culmination of, of that run and also that relationship. Kobe's been very adamant about wanting to tell stories. Uh, it, 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 it started kind of coming about at the end of his career and then now in retirement. He he really wants to go out there and, and tell stories. So did he ever mm -hmm. approach you and like ask you, hey, how how best do I approach storytelling? Did, did he ever come to you and, and ask for any advice on that? No, no, it's quite, it was quite the opposite, actually. I, huh. I went to him uh, right after he retired. Um, I think it was uh, probably May or so. No, it was, I think it was the summer. It was right after finals that year. And I had this idea of doing a big coffee table book. I don't know if you're familiar with these big passion books, but these mm -hmm. large oversized books. I wanted to do a book like that um, of, you know, huge pictures and some, some captions and a little bit of text by him, you know, throughout the book. And, and for that to be the sort of the collaboration and I did a proposal and did a prototype and he was very respectful and went through it and, and very uh, gently closed the cover. And he said, well, this is really nice. And then the good news is we're going to do a book together. 
but it's not going to be this book. (laughs) 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 I said, what do you got in mind, Mr. Mamba? And he he said, uh, well, he said, you know, I've been thinking about it and and looking at at these photos made me really think about what I want to get out there, what I want to kind of, you know, how I want to let people in. And as you know, he, he was kind of an enigma when he played. You know, he's very mysterious in terms of his his workout regimen, uh, his meditative techniques, his recovery from injury. A lot of this stuff was done away from the team, um, not in an isolated kind of way, but a way that he made it work for him, you know. And I was privy to a lot of that and um, allowed into that, those, you know, private workouts and inner sanctum. So... He really wanted to peel away the Mamba mentality. You know, it has such a mystique about it that people don't really know what made this guy tick as a player, um, as a person, uh, the incredible drive that he had, how he recovered from horrific and horrific injury. I mean, who would have thought that he could have come back the way he did from that Achilles injury at his age, you know, and scored 60 points in his last game on top of it. Um, And, Break, and he wanted to break down not only his game, the way he played, but the, the way everyone else played around him, including his teammates, his opponents, the so-called Kobe stoppers out there. Um, <laughs> Ruben Patterson right now is like, about, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there were a few of them. You know, Ruben was one, of course, and, and Roger Bell and yep. Tony Allen. Um, you know, Bruce Bowen, I think, in my opinion, Bruce was probably his most effective uh, defender, but yep, um, but Kobe agree. figured it out. So the trick was to to take his thoughts and match it up with a photo that spoke to what he was speaking about, and that was a challenge, believe me, because as you can imagine, he's got literally a photographic memory. I mean, the guy remembered <laughs> exact plays and exact games almost to the time on the clock when it happened, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I had to I had to really uh, draw upon a lot of skill from editors back at the NBA Photos Office and Getty Images, people that knew my work really well. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't remember, but we were able to find. So from the, you talked about kind of the rare access that you've had to Kobe to have to have him in the same city for 20 years and work with him that whole time and like to mm-hmm. be shooting him for that entire time. What do you feel like? Like, for you know, that that's kind of rare insight to how he operated and how he conducted himself as a player and a person and all of that. What do you feel like is the biggest kind of misconception about Kobe or like something that people don't really understand about him? Hmm. I think people think of Kobe um, as being aloof, as being uh, sort of an isolationist, um, somebody who didn't want to be around his teammates. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. I I kind of do know where that comes from because um, he very much was attentive to what he needed to do to play that night or to practice that day or even on a road trip. I mean, this isn't a guy who went out and partied and, you know, came uh, with two hours of sleep the next day to a game. I mean, he took care of his body and got himself ready to play every single night. Um, that's probably the biggest misconception. I mean, he had friends on the team, just like everyone else. Uh, he enjoyed life, but he, you know, to, to call him a, you know, somebody who's aloof, I think is really, it doesn't, doesn't speak to him at all. I think, uh, 
that was you know probably the biggest public misconception out there. I remember when he was when he was a veteran uh, toward the towards the end of his career, he threw like a, a Thanksgiving dinner for for the entire team, and he he rented yeah, the room, yeah. he did all the food. He what he what? Yeah. There's this there's this misnomer out there. There's this narrative that he wasn't a good teammate, but he actually really did care about the people that he that that helped him rise to the levels that he was able to get to. Oh, absolutely. You know, in any family, I don't know if you guys have kids, but you know, even in a marriage, I mean, it's not always you know <laughs> roses all the time, and and people have have uh, competing personalities and. And they're from different backgrounds. And, you know, I raised three teenagers who are now in their 20s. I mean, I lived through all that. So, you know, you're not going to have harmony 24 hours a day, seven days a week, especially when you're living with these guys for nine months yeah. and you're going into battle. So, it, it, you know, I don't know that there's ever been a team in any sport that didn't have any controversy or personality uh, conflicts or whatever. It's a natural thing. I mean, I don't know why people make such a big deal out of it, really, honestly, because, like I said, in a family, in a business, in a, in a company, um, in, you know, in your company, my company, you know, people who work for me, I mean, we all have different personalities and we have different ways uh, of looking at things and, and different things that we bring to the relationship to either enhance it or, you know, challenge it. So, um, you know, he, he, you know, Kobe was, was definitely one of those people that, that cared a lot about his teammates, but most of all, he cared about winning. <laughs> okay. So mm. he wanted people around him who were winners and he didn't expect the talent level to be at his level because as we know, there's very few Kobe's out there and, uh, you know, you can't expect people to be as good as you are, but for whatever role they were playing, he wanted them to to play that role, you know, hundred percent, and to bring bring it every single game. And that's what he expected, and that's what he should expect. That's what I expect. The people who work for me, and I'm sure you guys too. You know, you don't show up and just punch the time clock. You do your work. You prepare. Um, you know, you have contingencies if something goes wrong, you know, all that kind of stuff. Harrison, don't well, answer so, that. Don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure yeah, Anthony, I expect you to do a little more than punch the clock, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but you hear what I'm saying. And yeah. he, and it was all for the ultimate goal. Um, you know, he and Shaq, two different guys, absolutely. Different upbringings. They, they looked at life differently. Um, one guy was obsessed with training and with being – at the top of his physical form at every single moment. And the other guy wasn't, you know, but when that ball went up, you know, that clock started for those 48 minutes, they were, you know, literally brothers in, in the trenches together. And they both were able to get from each other what they needed to succeed. I mean, obviously three championships in a row and led by, you know, the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest coach in history. So, um, you know, made for great a great storyline. It made for drama. Um, people have to write about or report about something. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so but I at think the end that, of the day, you know, they that won, actually gets that, right that to it. Matter. 
that I think mm-hmm. that actually gets right to it. People do have to report and write about something. And you said you don't know why there was so much attention on whatever perceived, mm-hmm. whatever agreements real or uh, disagreements real or perceived that there were with Kobe. It's because there's so much media. Like I, I, I now I covered the tail. I was in the building for the tail end of Kobe's career, but obviously not for the mm-hmm. heyday. You've been there the entire yeah. time. This to me with mm-hmm. LeBron coming in now is the most yeah. media attention I've ever seen the Lakers get, like in person in terms of just how like the sheer volume of people mm-hmm. that uh, that yeah. are around. Is that is that accurate? Is this about like as much as you've ever seen as well? I don't think I've ever seen that much uh, this much media attention at the beginning in the preseason, the beginning of a season ever. Um, that includes you know the Showtime Lakers, the the Bulls uh, of that era, you know the Jordan era, uh, Shaq, Kobe, even you know LeBron uh, in you know his stints in Cleveland and Miami. Um, you know L- L.A. is a giant media capital. There's and on top of that, there's so much more media out there, as you know, from everything from what you do and I do with a podcast to social media to uh, a million sports sites, um, not to mention, you know, the mainstream media, which has been there forever. So, you know, it's a lot. Um, and LeBron, I think uh, he knew what he was getting into coming to L.A. Um, you have to expect that if you go to L.A., New York, Chicago, you know, big media capital. And I think he's handled it incredibly well. Um, uh, you know, I've always been impressed with him and his poise, um, and his way to sort of detach from the craziness around him. But uh, I'm, I'm super impressed seeing it in person now, you know, in these last, this last six weeks or so. It's kind of uh, dissipated a little bit. Um, and now, you know, everyone seems to be in the mode of, okay, now you got to produce, you know, the, the novelty of you being in L.A. and wearing a Laker uniform is kind of over. So let's see what you guys, what you can do and the team can do. And the team's starting to play, you know, really well. So, you know, yes. it's a story that that needs to, you know, continue and still be written. Yeah, Sunday night, the crowd had kind of thinned. The crowd definitely thinned out a little bit by Sunday night. And I think part of that is because, you know, it's the Hawks. So, like, there's not the extra national yeah. media coming in for that one. But uh, mm-hmm. after his first game, I remember I posted a photo of his interview scrum. That was the one that he did outside <laughs> of the Lakers locker room after. And yeah. like there was somebody yeah. standing on a <laughs> on a ladder for that one. Well, so that yeah, was Andy. Uh, that was me. No way. <laughs> that that was me. Yeah, we had, I had my incredible. assistant bring our 12-foot ladder out that we used to put the camera up through the backboard. I said because I couldn't, you know, I was a little bit late to the game there, and and it was probably 20 people deep in this little tiny alcove, and uh, I got up on the ladder, so that worked out pretty good. That was the first thing I had. Like probably like 15 replies to that tweet of people being like, "Did that dude really bring his own ladder?" So I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. People want to know. I have so many like, follow-ups. You, you told us where the I ladder came that from, dude. but I need to. I, I need to know. Like, have you ever had to get on a ladder to shoot a post-game scrum before LeBron? Mm, no. The only other time uh, something similar happened was at the NBA Finals. I remember in Boston Garden, and the Garden was literally had no back of house. I mean, it had two locker rooms, one for each team, that were tiny. I mean, when I, you know picture like a men's room with lockers in it, you know, <laughs> it's basically yeah. what the lockers locker rooms look like at Boston Garden. So they couldn't, they had no place to put 
Larry Bird. They had no interview room. They had nothing. So they literally, after practice, brought Bird out to the court to do his media. And I I don't know if something told me, you know what, you got to, this is like a special moment. So I, I raced up to the catwalk to the ceiling and shot straight down at him. And it's a really cool picture of Larry, like under the basket and the media just sort of extending almost like to mid court. I mean, it was like so much media there. And uh, this LeBron situation is basically the same. I want to know. So when you, when you take a picture <laughs> and you snap it or whatever um, nowadays with, with current cameras, you can, you, you get to see the image almost as soon as you snap it. But, but do you know you take a great picture when, when you hit that button? Uh, well, you hope and pray, but <laughs> what's great about this day, what's great about this day and age is the instant gratification. There's literally a button on the back of the camera that as yeah. soon as you shoot it, you can push and you see what you shot back in the film days you didn't know that. So you didn't know if you framed it right, if, if your strobes, your big flash units went off, uh, if it was out of focus or not, somebody's arm was in the way, you know, there's a million stories of just having to go with, you know, a sleepless night waiting for that film to be developed overnight at a lab and then racing there in the morning, going through the film and remembering that moment and like, is it there? Is it there? And then seeing it or not seeing it. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I would imagine um, the, the payoff, I would imagine the payoff back in the day might have actually been better than it is now. Right. Because you, you actually do know immediately when you, when you find out, but that stress of like, gosh, mm. if I got that, that this, this could be a great picture. And then you finally find yeah. out that, that it actually worked out. Or it didn't, and or then didn't. like yeah. the rest of your day is shot. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, you know what? I I don't think at this point in my age and career I could really take that extra oh, stress of having yeah. to wait to see. Honestly, it just it was very nerve wracking. I got to tell you, it really was. And uh, you know, there were times when when something I thought I might have gotten something I didn't get it, and it's very disappointing. And then there are times when. You see some gem in there that, wow, I didn't remember taking or, you know, I didn't remember it looking like that, for example. There's a picture in the book that is a few of them, but one in particular at the end of the book, it's a double page um, shot straight down at the forum, Kobe's second year of him dunking. And yeah, that I was remember shot the with photo. a remote camera. Yeah, that was shot with a remote camera in the catwalk. And obviously I can't see what that camera's seeing because I'm on the court pushing the button. So when I saw that image in the film at the lab that day, you know, looking through hundreds and hundreds of pieces of film, um, that was pretty amazing because that, like I said, is a gem that you just, you don't, you don't know. You don't know how that looked through that camera at that moment. So that's part of the fun of being a photographer shooting the way that I shoot and with remote cameras and sometimes you know you you get something through the backboard for example a block shot or mm -hmm. a great dunk or something that just doesn't look great from where you're sitting on the court but from that angle it looks pretty cool hmm. 
though there I did have one more about it. so like shooting LeBron on a regular basis now aside from occasionally having to bust out a ladder to get a good shot of him like is there anything <laughs> else that you, yeah. Is there anything else that you've noticed about him from because obviously you had taken pictures of LeBron before when he had come through Staples or for other oh, yeah. events like that. Of but is there anything yeah. that you've noticed shooting him up close for like an extended period of time now that you hadn't noticed about him before? Well, that, that's a great question. I mean, I have 15 years of, of shooting him. So going back to his rookie year, I shot his first game, which is in Sacramento when he was a rookie with uh, with Cleveland. Oh, really? I and didn't then, know that. You know, yeah. And then shooting you know, when they, when Cleveland would come through and when he was Miami and then of course Cleveland again, when they would come through the West coast and, and I was with him for both, uh, both USA basketball, Olympic stints, all-star games. Um, I traveled with Cleveland in a preseason thing down to Rio and spent time with him behind the scenes, uh, various Nike things. Um, so, you know, and of course, what, the guy's been to, what, nine finals? So, yeah. you know, been around him for all of that. But being around him to answer your question on a daily basis, you know, you learn a guy's tendencies, and I'm, I haven't quite gotten it yet, but I'm getting there, in terms of, like, first of all, his preparation, which I was never privy to, really, um, how structured he is on, uh, like, he will get to the arena exactly the same time every single day. <laughs> every game you know like are we talking to the minute uh, to the second like exactly like that to close? the minute absolutely 100 percent. i mean if, if you if you're not there when he arrives it means that you're late because he gets there every single game i mean i, I have a feeling he might get there early and wait in the car and then still come <laughs> walking exactly at, the, at that stroke because you know maybe it's a superstition or something i don't know but um but his preparation before the game, how he stretches with his trainer, Mike, um, his massage techniques, his uh, mental preparation, you know, even even the routine of like how he gets dressed. You know, honestly, it's like I've seen it over and over now and it's pretty impressive. Um, a lot of these guys are very regimented and, and uh, you know, very they follow like this sort of script every single game. But he seems to be a lot more. I guess regimen is the word, um, and his routine is very set. So, and so what you're court, saying is um, he has mama mentality. He has, he has, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely has mama mentality. Yes, um, it's it's a different mama mentality because it's it's his own version of it. But uh, yeah. I would definitely say so. Yes, but and so, of course, you know, you know, I'm it, learning his, I'm learning his game. I'm learning his game, how he plays, how he interacts with his teammates when he's going to pass, when he's going to step back and take that long three, you know, that kind of thing. In all seriousness, Anthony, you know, he made, we made the joke about Mamba mentality, but in all seriousness, does it remind mm -hmm. you of Kobe at all? Is it similar in some ways and like the attention to detail or do they kind of go about things differently? Uh, well, attention to detail is one part of, of Mamba mentality. Um, the way Kobe defines it is, is uh, preparation, being ready to play, being, um, completely uh, zoned in on what the task is at hand. Um, and also, you know, it, first of all, you got to be great to get to the NBA, right? There's what, mm -hmm. 400 players or something in the NBA. So you have to be a great athlete, a great player at levels before you got to the NBA to be in the NBA. Even if you're like the 12th guy on the bench, you know, but then there's that elite group 
um, that's the next level up. I don't know if they have like an extra chromosome or something, but <laughs> they, they just have, they, they take it up a notch, you know, and, and we could spend days talking about, you know, who, who belongs in that category. But in this day and age, the guys that I've shot, you know, over the 40 years could probably, you know, name them in two hands, you know, magic, Kareem, Michael bird, um, Kobe, you know, Shaq is in there, Duncan, um, and LeBron, obviously Curry, um, Durant, you know, these guys just, just have, have like a notch above, right? So there's greatness above greatness and the mama mentality and what Kobe's trying to get across in the book is that it doesn't always take just talent. It takes, it takes mental, um, mental preparation it takes total dedication to what you're doing not just in basketball but the model mentality can be taken into business it can be taken into whatever field that you're in um to be ready to be prepared um to not ever make an excuse you know and to take your talent to the level that maybe you didn't even think was possible can <clears throat> I want to bring the uh, focus back around to 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 you personally here? Can you take mm-hmm. us to the moment where where you found out you were going to be in the Hall of Fame? Like that that had, that had to yeah. be like just put us in the room there with you. That had to be a pretty am- amazing moment. It was it was surreal. I mean, I, I got a call from my really really good friend Charlie Rosenzweig. Charlie is senior VP at the NBA, mm-hmm. who's. Um, was my boss for a long time, ran it. He was the guy who ran NBA photos. Um, we've become very good friends. And Charlie is also a trustee uh, at the Hall of Fame. And uh, there's a committee that, um, there's a committee called the media committee that uh, nominates people for this award. And, you know, I, I go to the Hall of Fame every year and I shoot the dinner. And these are all friends of mine. Um, they're all reporters or broadcasters, like veteran, you know, names that we all know. Never for a million years did I think that I'd be getting the call that they had nominated me for this, <laughs> you know. Um, so Charlie called and I said, and, and I said, I said, well, you know, are you guys telling me that that I'm retiring or like, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I'm still working? So. Is, <laughs> I mean, yeah. first of all, I'm not dead. And also, <laughs> I'm still, he goes, no, no, you can keep working. It's just, we want to recognize you, you know, for everything you've done and blah, blah, blah. So that was pretty amazing. That was in, uh, man, I got that call, I think in January. And then it was officially announced during All-Star Weekend in February in LA, which was really special. And the um, the ceremony and the dinner was uh, during enshrinement weekend in uh, the end of September in Springfield, which is a whole other story because that's where I got my start going to the University of Massachusetts, about 12 miles from Springfield. (laughs) So it was, you know, Phil Jackson would say uh, it was a true full circle life experience right there because my first published photo basketball picture was in my college newspaper 40 years earlier, you know, right up the street. So it was a wonderful experience. 
So I, you've been, you are actually officially the first Hall of Famer that we've had on the Silver Screen Roll podcast, and you've been so gracious <laughs> cool. with your time. I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. So I want to get you out of here and not go over the amount that we told you it would be. But I have three oh, rapid fire good. questions for you. Um, the first yeah, yeah. one: favorite photo you've ever taken. Oh come on, Ooh, that's not favorite. fair. <laughs> well, hey, I, I, yeah, we put people on the hot seat a, here, okay? There's a few, you know, and I always like to say that. You know, I got four kids, and that's like asking me to pick my favorite right, one, yeah. which, you know, <laughs> if you guys have kids, you know, once in a while, one is a little bit more favorite than the other, depending <laughs> on the circumstances that are going on. But uh, I would say, honestly, with all due respect to my dear friend and co-author, Kobe, that that my favorite picture probably would be of Michael Jordan holding that trophy uh, oh, after man. he won the first championship with uh-huh. his dad next to him and, and Michael crying his eyes out. It was just such a important moment you know looking back now um you know almost what almost 40 years ago 30 something years ago um it was just such an important moment in NBA history and of course to Michael and the history he had uh to get there seven years to get to the mountaintop and then of course you know the whole backstory with his dad passing away and how close he was with his dad and I was very close with my dad who passed away and um Michael and I had actually, our dads had met each other, you know, oh, <laughs> during man. the dream team experience. And so it was just a lot of, a lot of factors going into it. And as a photographer, you know, it's not an action shot. It's a very quick sort of photojournalistic photo, but, um, you know, it take a lot of satisfaction in the fact that I was present and in the middle of a chaotic, insane scene in a locker room, um, to have the presence of mind to take that picture. So yeah, that's, that's probably the, the one. Yeah, I I got like literal goosebumps when you said which photo it was <laughs> because it's like it's like Anthony said like if there is a photo that you really like about the NBA there is like a probably a better than fifty percent chance that Andy has taken it and so <laughs> I, the other one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was. Uh, is there so you obviously you work pretty close with Kobe for about 20 years, like mm-hmm. you were working with him mm-hmm. on photos and talking to him about the, you know, the work that you did and things like that. Is, is there a guy mm-hmm. on the team now that like is asking you for photos after games or things like that? Like that, it, you know, I don't want to say compare the rela- like that. It's a similar relationship. But if there are there guys on the team like that now that you have relationships with that uh, kind of like, oh, that? for sure. Well, what's interesting is what's come around now is is social media and that these guys uh, they feed off of whatever we shoot at games. So as you know, because I'm sure you guys follow very closely, every player has an Instagram site and they're posting something from last night's game, you know, whether it's them walking in and some kind of attire that they want to get out there or that's being sponsored or something that happened during the game or if it's traveling or whatever it is, you know, and it's very, very important for them because of the whole branding thing. So, you know, LeBron and his team are posting stuff of mine every single day. I mean, it's it's incredibly um, flattering <laughs> when I look at you know his, his Instagram. He has there's two or three Instagrams that you know that uh, that they post to, and I'm constantly seeing my photos, and it's really cool. But um, to kind of more answer answer your question better. Um, like Kyle Kuzma is great. You know, that was so going to be my, that was so, going to be my guess. Was yeah, Kuzma. So, I, I think sometimes so, yeah. he posts those from the post game locker room. I am convinced. Yeah, no. And he's so, you know, what's great is that he's so appreciative and they all are. I mean, Tyson Chandler at, at last night asked me for pictures and 
um, super happy to send to them. You know, it's extra work for us and uh, we don't mind doing it. Um, you know, keeps the uh, relationship really strong. And, um, I, and again, I love seeing my pictures posted because, you know, that's what I live for, <laughs> honestly, for people to use my pictures. What, who better than the guys that are in them? using them so yeah um but but they're all they're all great these guys this this group of lakers are a lot of fun you know guys like rajon rondo who i didn't know i didn't know him at all you know um one of the funniest nicest friendliest guys i think i've ever met honestly now, who would have thought that you know so very cool so all right so i got i gotta put you on the hot seat one more time and then uh, and then we're gonna get mm-hmm. you out of here but <laughs> So we, sure. we ask all, I'm, I'm going to claim that we ask all of our guests this question. So just, uh, th- this is our <laughs> recurring segment. Tell us a story you've never told about Kobe so that we can get this podcast aggregated. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, uh, that's anything. I got to think, I got to think, I got to think a story about Kobe. Somebody asked me that about Shaq. Um, it's actually on Shaq's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Shaq asked you about Shaq. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really a funny story that only he and I knew about. It was hilarious. Um, oh, story about Kobe. That's a great question. You know, there was a time when he, uh, when he used to ride a motorcycle. I, I remember this. And, um, and he, this is before the Black Mamba kind of persona popped up. It was probably, I don't know, five, six years into his career. And he used to show up as like this ninja, you know, in this black bike, <laughs> all black leather stuff, you know, black helmet. <laughs> I think it was and, in a music video at one point. Like in, in his... Yeah, it might have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think the Lakers just said they put the kibosh on it. You know, mm-hmm. there's just no way they're going to, you know... I mean, yeah, I like, was going to say, I feel like guys, riding a motorcycle like would have to be in violation of something. That's the Jay Williams rule. Jay Williams yes, like, wrecked, a, yes. wrecked, a, wrecked a motorcycle and ruined his career. And so the NBA said that like yeah. our guys can't ride motorcycles mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, that's probably the only thing I could think of. Um, <laughs> you know, I had Jay Williams on my podcast. By the way, you're looking for an incredible guest. He is amazing because uh-huh. of everything he, he went through um, and his battle back, uh, both, you know, physically and mentally everything and what he's doing now in, in the world. Um, amazing guy. And, uh, I didn't know really much about him until I sat down and, and interviewed him. He's tremendous. No, he's so an amazing. Glad you speaker. brought him up. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of podcasts, you have, you, you mentioned your own podcast legends of sports and, and you mm-hmm. have a, an exciting yeah. guest that I would imagine most of you guys can probably guess who that might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, right now we, we finished season one, which was fantastic. We did 28 podcasts, which I don't even know how I was able to do that. <laughs> um, with my crazy life and, 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 uh, schedule, but we, we did a great, uh, season one. Um, we are taking a break. Between now and the first of the year, we're going to launch season two, and we're preparing our guest list now. Um, but uh, like you said, we have a surprise guest, a special coming up, um, probably around Thanksgiving, with uh, a guy I know very well, um, who's a really good writer. <laughs> uh, it was me. It was me. Yeah. So, what Andy is saying he, is that he, I'm going to go. I'm going to hop on his podcast and talk about my writing. Right. <laughs> 
He's a he's a best selling author. Uh, okay, then it's not me. He won he, he won an Academy Award. Uh, anyway, I think we could all figure it out. But uh, until it's official, I can't really say. But it uh, we reco- recorded it the other day. It was a really great conversation, and I hope everybody can catch it. It's uh, Legends of Sport um, on Apple Apple iTunes um, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, our social media is at Legends of Sport. So I, we post a lot of pictures, uh, my iconic pictures, as well as um, what's relevant in this day in sports history. So you'll see a lot of like looking back at the past uh, memories that maybe you forgot about or didn't know about. We have a blog, which is a Legends of Sport blog, which is a lot of fun and very interactive for people to comment on. And then my personal Instagram is at ADB Photo Inc., where you'll see more timely pictures, pictures from games that I just did or, uh, you know, stuff that I'm doing to promote the book or whatever. So um, really excited for all of those platforms and be able to get my work out there and for people to see it. Yeah, you've already learned the most important lesson in podcasting, which is never say the name who you're having on the show until you're sure it's recorded. Because yeah. Anthony and I've made that mistake a couple of times where uh, interviews <laughs> right. didn't record, or and we're like, yeah, you know, we promised yeah. you an interview with uh, with Kobe Carl that didn't record, so we're just going to tell you about what he told us. <laughs> let's let's make sure that we're clear on who made that mistake, though. That was Harrison. It wasn't my yeah, mistake. I mean, my computer failed. You know, that's like who's yeah. to say whose fault that was. <laughs> Um, no, well, I'm but, glad I'm not the only one. We had that happen very early in our podcasting life, and it just freaked me out. And we had to go back to the guest and re-record the whole thing. I mean, it was very, very gracious, of course, but it was very embarrassing, as you know. And we learned our lesson to have a backup to the backup. Um, you know, most of the time we do our podcast at the Podcast One studio, but sometimes we have to take it on the road. And that's always got uh, some landmines attached to it with equipment. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Been yeah, there. all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that'll go. do it, though. I, I don't. We, we we thank you very much, uh, Andy, for for being as generous with your time as you were, and <clears throat> and with this for the stories. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Again, that's Andy Bernstein. He has uh, the he helped Kobe with the Mama Mentality book. He has his podcast. You guys all got to go out and check that stuff out. Uh, and like I said earlier, if, if there is a moment that has been captured in in photography over the course of NBA history, there's a good chance that that Andy snapped that picture. Uh, so hmm. so go check those stuff out. Hmm. And uh, and thank you very much, Andy, for, for hopping on the show. Guys, thank you so much. Really a pleasure. And uh, good luck with your podcast. Anytime you want me to come back, I'm there for you. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Andy. Have a good one. All right, so that was Andy Bernstein. He was amazing. He is amazing at his job. That was the, he went well above the amount of time that we told him he was going to hang out. Uh, so, so sorry, Andy, uh, for for having to deal us with, with us for longer. We aren't good at like deadlines or staying within time constraints. Basically, so. <laughs> I told I told you I sent you a Slack. I was like, all right, we have two minutes. And you're like, well, I well have and then I said, okay, I said I got some rapid fire questions, and then Andy <laughs> just kept giving us more great stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to stop asking my rapid fire questions because I'm gonna, I'm going to wait for him to hang up on us. Uh, so that was our that was our so that was that was nice. That was he was really nice. He was really good with us. Uh, make sure you guys check out all of his content. Uh, basically, like you know how on on Twitter people ask all the time, "Who did this?" 
Andy probably did that. Yeah, it was probably Andy, <laughs> and somebody like ripped that photo yeah. from there. <laughs> so, so that's who we just ha- we just talked to, and he was great. We just so. need to have Grant just start watermarking other people's memes with Andy's <laughs> with Andy's Twitter handle. Ooh, that'd be a good call. We yeah. Do that. All right. Uh, so, a lot of the conversation, though, awkward segue, but a lot of the conversation because even while the Lakers are winning. Because Luke Walton is not very popular on Twitter, the conversation right now is about his handling of of Lonzo Ball. So, Harrison, tell me why Luke Walton is ruining Lonzo Ball's career. Oh, that wasn't a loaded question at all. (laughs) Uh, So, I I asked Luke about this before the game uh, that the the Lakers played last night. About ruining his career? No, not Yes, I, I said, Luke, why are you ruining Lonzo's career I'll take your answer on the air. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I asked him, I, I said basically like, what is Lonzo going to have to do? What does Lonzo need to show you to start getting some of those crunch time minutes? And he kind of, he talked about a little bit about how Lonzo is, uh, is, you know, sign like with clutch, like, does he need to sign with clutch? No, that's that how he, he talked a little bit about like how it's not, it hasn't been an indictment on Rondo or on Lonzo and how it's basically been that he was trusting Rondo's championship experience more than, you know, as the <laughs> team was trying to get 500. Uh-huh. And so I think we figured out what Lonzo needs to do. He needs to win a championship. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then he'll finally get, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think – all right, so so the point that I made on the other show after, that we're not allowed to game, mention on here. I don't know if you saw this, but after the game, he said he would have played Lonzo if – you know, but then he ended up going back to Josh Hart for defensive switching purposes, which a lot of people push back on. But I will say this. I think Lonzo – Trey Young did start to hit some shots on Lonzo towards the end of that game when Luke made the switch. And then afterwards, the Lakers were okay. I mean, they ended up holding on and coming back and winning. And so you can argue with the process of it. You can say that on aggregate, Lonzo is a better defender than Josh Hart, especially on the perimeter. Absolutely. But, you know, it ended up working out. And so I, I don't know. Like, it's maybe it's not the greatest process, but they're also on a three-game winning streak. So it's kind of hard for, I think, to complain a whole lot about this. Even, again, like two of those teams are like the Kings and – Hawks are not real NBA teams, so I guess that factors in too. <laughs> Duke would but, beat them. Yeah. No, I, I, I think – so the the uh, counterpoint that I have dealt with the most has been, well, you hated Byron Scott because he didn't play D'Angelo Russell or Jordan Clarkson or whoever at the time. And he went with Ronnie Price or whichever veteran that he, he, that he decided he wanted to go with. Uh, but the but the big difference here that I think we need to point out is how badly the Lakers need wins. Yeah, and 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 you know, this is how coaches operate. Like this is how they this is how they work. Is is they value the predictability of a veteran compared to Lonzo? I think Lon- you and, and this I is are a both- totally different situation than the one that D'Angelo was yeah. in with Byron, where there was nothing to play for. There's actually something to play for this year. Yeah. Developmental minutes have to somewhat take go by the wayside. And that even includes in games where that was maybe Lonzo's best game of the season. He was playing really well. Yeah. He was as aggressive as he's been, which is exactly that's the other thing that Luke has talked about repeatedly, both like, you know, you can infer from subtext of what he's saying. And then he's directly stated it, that he wants Lonzo to be more aggressive. And Lonzo did a better job of not just passing and initiating the offense as soon as he crossed half court. He tried to probe and create a little bit of an advantage. And I thought he did a really good job last night. I just think like, you know, I I think because it worked out, it's 
it's a little harder to fault the decision making. Like if if Trey Young had just went off afterwards, then I think that you can criticize it a little bit more. But it, it kind of ended up working in a weird way. That's that's really what it comes down to. And uh, maybe eventually like, maybe eventually Lonzo gets traded and and everything that we're talking about gets is all for naught, right? But but this Lakers team right now where they're currently sitting and the other thing too is like this is what I talk to Pete all the time about is the politics of, of all of this. Lonzo is not a LeBron guy. Luke is not a LeBron guy. Luke is not a magic guy. And so there is some self-preservation here. When he goes with Rajon Rondo, it's a lot of it is is. <laughs> and last night he He's, didn't. Last night he went with no point right. guard. He yeah. just said, "LeBron, you're the point guard now." And and but the funny thing is that like that's what people have been asking for. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's okay. I think in closing minutes of games, like the advantage of having Lonzo or Rondo out there is mitigated if LeBron is just going to have the ball in his hands the whole and time. Lonzo is much standing. more valuable than Rondo in that context, which is why that's why when he plays Rondo over him, I don't get it. When yeah. he plays Hart over him, it like in a weird way, it kind of made sense. Yeah, I think I think that's fine. I think it's yeah. I, the, I think... the playing Rondo over him is the concerning decision. That's the yeah. one where like you start to wonder about either the competency of the coaching staff or you wonder about, you know, what political forces are leading them to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely fair. Anything else that you want to talk about before we, uh, well, so we got, we got a new segment. We're going to declare we the, uh, the, the Lake show enemy of the week. Yep. And after that segment, it is surprisingly, uh, and to the, to the chagrin of many of you, I would imagine it's not going to be Luke Walton. It's not Luke Walton. It is going to be stairs <laughs> who have viciously attacked Anthony and I over yeah. the weekend. I was leaving Staples center and walking up the stairs and I tripped and I spilled scalding hot coffee on my face. And I was like 90% sure that I'd burn my eyeball. I called my girlfriend. She said, you know, I don't like talking on the phone, either go to the hospital or just drive home. (laughs) And so that was very mean too. Um, And you know, she, she's like runner up enemy of the week, but right now it's just, it's just stairs because like I the, almost tore my ACL on some stairs. Yeah, you like surprisingly not Euro stumbling. You were you no. were. I was I was uh, <laughs> I was walking down some stairs, down some wooden stairs, and I had socks on. And anybody who has ever walked on hardwood floor with socks on can attribute to it being a little slick. Uh, I took a step with my right foot. I slipped down the stairs, and I I. I, my knee still hurts, man. I would imagine if there was a hidden camera, it would look something like Lance Stevenson driving into the lane. Yeah, yeah. It was... It's just like just like flailing of limbs and then like something flying up in the air yeah. and occasionally it goes in. I didn't have a drink, so nothing flew up in oh, the air. Is, maybe your phone? No? No, no. Phone was in the pocket. But mine, well, I'm, not, I'm not like the, 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 angle that my, the angle that my left foot went at is probably not something that I should do again. Yeah. So like all of our greatest podcast segments, we put very little planning into this one. And I'm, I'm going to continue on. And I didn't discuss this with Anthony beforehand, but I'm going to say we're going to make this a recurring thing. So we're going to declare our The Lake Show Enemy of the Week. And we're, uh-huh. we'll workshop that title if that works. But uh, we want you to declare yours. Go to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast iTunes reviews. Leave a five-star review with who you think we should declare Ooh. the listener Enemy of the Week for next Good idea. week. Yeah. So so leave that five-star review. Let us know who you think we should declare the enemy of the week and why. And we may read one or two of the best ones on air. So no, you we'll have read chance. all of them. We'll read all of them on the air. 
Well, every single one of them. As, I'm not agreeing to that, just depending on how many we get, but... All of them. Okay, we'll see. Every single one of them. We'll, we'll debate this off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. This was a long episode. If you stuck with us through this, thank you. We, we appreciate all of you. And, we, you know, it's been, it's been fun to get back to podcasting and uh, get, get the weirdness out of our systems. Damn you, stairs. <laughs>